Hey there, podcast listeners. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor at Williamsburg Baptist Church. And today I am talking with Sheila Herlihy, who is the faith organizer at the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. So welcome, Sheila. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. We talked, um, Williamsburg Baptist Church is a, a partner congregation with the Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. We get emails from you all, and our mission council has been engaged. Uh, Sheila reached out to me, and we had a cup of coffee a couple weeks ago and hit it off and just thought, well, let's talk about who you are and who the Virginia Interfaith Center is and what it means for us as a church to partner together. We, We decided we'd record a podcast to talk, to learn a little bit more about you, maybe to share with my congregation, but also to share more broadly with others who might be interested in and partnering with the Virginia Interfaith Center as well. Absolutely. I think it sounds great. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Sheila, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into some of the nitty gritty of the organization that you work. Uh, Just help us to get to know you a little bit. Sure. So I am uh, an Ohio native transplanted to Virginia eight and a half years ago now. Um, I spent almost eight years working in Charlottesville at a Catholic congregation okay. where I did, yep, where I did a lot of interfaith community organizing work and interfaith charity and outreach work as well. Um, and I loved that. Mm. I have also small other things about me, very big fan of the Cleveland Browns. Okay. Um, <laughs> And uh, a professed secular Franciscan, which if you're at all familiar with St. Francis of Assisi, uh, it means I, I'm, I'm a nun-liked. I yes. have committed to living my life in the spirit of simplicity and humility and peace building um, and have done prison ministry and migrant ministry and worked at a soup kitchen and have done lots of fun things. But a common denominator has always been uh people in need and and living faith by addressing public policy. So I'm really delighted to be with VICPP now, and I've been here for almost a year, and I love it. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. And uh, my own background work, we talked about this when we had coffee, but um, having taught spirituality, I love the spirituality of the Franciscans. And uh, I didn't know you could be a Franciscan light, but it's something that I'll have to look into now myself. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, that is so cool. There's like 12 of us in my little group fraternity and we get together once a month and talk about, you know, what we're doing and how we're living it. Right. That's awesome. Well, wondering if you can give us sort of an introduction to Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy. Some folks in my congregation are very familiar with the organization and some have probably never heard of it at all. So who are who's the who is this organization? So yeah, Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy, or VICPP, or Virginia Interfaith, if you want a little less of a mouthful. Um, We are a statewide organization. Our mission is to build up racial, economic, and social justice through Mm. prayer and action, uh, education, prayer, and action. So we inspire people of faith and goodwill, uh, many different traditions all across the spectrum. Mm nonpartisan, uh, but we do take on policies that affect people. Mm-hmm. And as most faith traditions have an emphasis on reaching out to the poor or the marginalized mm-hmm. folks who've been overlooked and underserved by society as a whole, those tend to be the populations that we're looking out for. 
We do legislative policy, kind of the advocacy arm. Uh-huh. And then we also do some programmatic stuff, um, helping to build more just systems at kind of a local level. And I'll give some examples of those if you'd like, or I can wait because I know there are, we'll be talking more about each of those. Yes. No, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I'll ask you in just a minute about, you know, the sort of focal areas of your work, but Lovely. love that. And yeah, you know, um, I love that this seems to be a way where you sort of put, um, you know, you put faith into action. And I know that a lot of people of faith, uh, especially in my congregation and a, a number of congregations care deeply about, you said, racial, economic, and social justice. And I love when we talked, I loved the ways in which it sounded like this is such a practical, uh, but an important way to engage our faith in the world. Uh, we try really hard, you know, to recognize the ways in which faith is is inherently political, mm-hmm. uh, but not partisan, right? Uh Absolutely. Uh, sometimes we, I think we have a tendency to sort of say, well, faith and politics don't mix, but then you look at the life of Jesus and some of the other great religious figures throughout history. And invariably they found themselves um, speaking up for poor and marginalized and, Mm -hmm. and so forth. I remember telling my mom at some point, all the cool religious leaders got arrested, like Jesus, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi. So like, really, and my mom was like, you are going to give me a heart attack. (laughs) At the same time, it's true. When you live your faith fully and authentically, you don't end up on the good side of people in power. Uh, And sometimes that looks like uh, very, very obvious political action, but sometimes it is really just framing systems and bringing systems along toward a world that's more in line with, you know, what I think of as God's kingdom. Yeah, well said. Yeah, absolutely. And the the church, the Big C Church, as well as some of the other, you know, um, religious groups, uh, Islam or uh, Jewish faith, uh, have an awful lot of folks who can be mobilized to engage in some of these issues. Yes. So, yeah. Well, I, I love that. All the really cool <laughs> religious leaders got arrested at some point. <laughs> some got killed too. So some got a, killed too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a hard line to walk. Uh, well, well, Sheila, uh, I'm wondering if you can tell us just maybe like a, a quick overview of what some of your key issues are. Uh, that y'all are involved in as an organization, then maybe we can talk a little bit more specifically about each one of them, if if you'd like. Sure, absolutely. Um, so we've got kind of buckets that where our work falls. Uh, and as I mentioned, kind of both the policy and program stuff in each of those buckets. Mm-hmm. So one is um, criminal justice reform. And what we've been working on at the General Assembly on that level is limiting solitary confinement. The UN defines solitary confinement for more than two weeks as torture. Uh, And there is no limit in the U.S. to how long you can keep somebody in solitary. In Virginia, there are no regulations about reasons people could be in solitary. Um, And so, like, thousands of people are experiencing torture at the hands of Virginia's government. And so, uh, yeah, we've been pushing for that at the General Assembly. Um, we also have heard terrible things about, uh, Virginia only has one 
state private prison um, in Lawrenceville. And mm-hmm. we have heard from everyone, from prison guards, from former inmates, from everybody, that the conditions at Lawrenceville are terrible. Like, inmates are, folks who are there are starving. Um, oh, my gosh. Like, not getting enough food. And, of right. course, that means it's cheaper for the government to operate, but it also means that people are not being treated as human, and that's unacceptable. So we are working on that a little bit in the programmatic sphere. So that's kind of the criminal justice mm-hmm. reform bucket. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I can I just interject briefly? I mean, such obvious connections to scripture to me. My my brain goes to like Matthew 25, where, you know, Jesus says, you know, uh, <laughs> sheep and goats and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you fed me when I was hungry and visited me when I was in prison. And yes. um, it's it surprises me to hear some of those things about what's going on in Virginia and in Virginia uh, and, and that the UN would call that torture. So I'm grateful that y'all are advocating for something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, this is clearly, clearly a marginalized population. These are folks who sometimes society has kind of given up on uh, or said, well, they did something bad. They don't right, deserve right. respect These are anymore, the but that's guys, right. Yeah, as people of faith, that's that's just not how we see it. <laughs> right, know, we're all yeah, we've all done things, and we all need grace and and care in this way. Absolutely, and bare minimum standards of human decency. Right, so, yeah, awesome. So, criminal justice reform. Okay, mm-hmm. that's awesome. one. Um, another one is like worker justice and worker protections. So on the policy side, we're working to require employers to provide paid sick days mm-hmm. because right now you're not guaranteed paid time off. Um, and over a million Virginia workers don't have time off. Two thirds of grocery store workers don't have wow. paid sick days. So your choice is: do I not make rent this month and stay home or do I go in and work at the grocery store with strep throat? Do I leave my 10-year-old who has who is sick home alone or do I send my 10-year-old who is sick to school so that I can go to work? Right. Um, and these are just untenable choices. So we have been doing stuff around paid sick days at the at the kind of advocacy level. Mm-hmm. At the program level, we have some cool programs around um, living wage campaigns. So Virginia's minimum wage is currently Oh Lord, I should know this. It just went up. I think it's I think it's eleven dollars. I can't fact check you off the top of my head. (laughs) Better. Um, just went up in January. Okay. (laughs) Um, I believe it's eleven dollars an hour. It's scheduled to go up to twelve next year. Okay. But uh, but a living wage to actually for one person to be able to support themselves on an hourly wage, um, is significantly higher than that. Mm. And so there's a few of our um, regional groups, chapters that have organized living wage certification processes. And so if you are in Northern Virginia or if you're in the Richmond area or the Charlottesville area, you your business that is paying 15 or $16 mm-hmm. an hour can get certified and have a logo in your window and get positive acclaim. So, you know, the carrot side of things right? Um, to reward businesses and employers who are paying their workers appropriately, who are giving a living wage. 
and, and that sort of thing is happening. We've also been working on farm worker protections, heat hmm. stress safety protections. The list is long. Worker rights are a thing. Oh, and wage stopping wage theft, which is just rampant for low wage workers. Oh, so will you say a little bit more about that for folks who may not know what that is? Wage theft. Sure. Yeah. So wage theft is exactly what it sounds like when you are not paid all of your legally owed wages. Um, your employer has stolen your wages from you. Sometimes that means instead of getting overtime pay you are just paid at the regular hourly weight as an overtime worker, or you're paid under the table so that taxes don't come out, or you're paid as an independent contractor instead of an employee, again, cheating the state out of taxes, um, and requiring you as the employee to pay double taxes on that. Right, right. Um, But sometimes it's things like you quit your job and then your employer's mad about it, so they never send you your last paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things are just so common. I think there's some statistic: one in four low-wage workers experiences wage theft. Oh um, my gosh! Wow. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. Wow. And so right. we and have, you know, as you know, someone who has a salary and works a middle-class job, it's not something that I've experienced, and so that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, some of us haven't experienced that or don't know that that's a real reality. Absolutely. And, and salaried workers, I mean, they, uh, I could go down a rabbit hole here. Sometimes paying people a salary just to keep them out of hourly work so that then you can require 50 hours a week, but not pay for 50 hours a week can be another form of wage theft. But I I don't think that's the boat you're in, but like that happens too. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And so y'all, um, as part of the the legislative work, advocate for um, the General Assembly to pass bills that would put more of these worker protections into place. Exactly. In fact, we won a couple of wage theft protections recently. Oh. Uh, well, two years ago, I guess. Uh, employers are now required to provide pay stubs. So like you can check your records of how many hours you worked against how many hours they paid you for. And if there are discrepancies, you have a document to bring to court with you. Right. Um, We also got what's called a private cause of action, which means that instead of waiting for the state's Department of Labor and Industry to take up your complaint, I think they had three regulation officials for the entire Commonwealth of Virginia, you could get a lawyer to take your case to court independently. And the employer would be, if it turned out the employer was at fault, they would be required to pay the lawyer's fees. Wow. these things are making it a lot more viable for workers to get their compensation. Um, okay. And we've got a resource that connects workers and victims of wage theft to legal help um, as that's needed. Awesome. So, that's great. So criminal justice reform, worker protection. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have health equity. Okay. So, few years ago, we were a big part of the fight to uh, bring Medicaid expansion to Virginia. Uh-huh. We won that with a Republican-controlled legislature okay. um, and lots of bipartisan support. This year, awesome. we've been working on uh, a campaign about requiring implicit bias training for healthcare professionals. So currently, the maternal mortality rate for women who are Black is three times that as for women who are white, even when you figure in um, education level, 
geographic location, socioeconomic status, mm. a professor who makes 70 grand a year, or, you know, 100 grand a year is still three times more likely to die in childbirth than a high school wow. educated white woman. And that's not doctors uh, intentionally discriminating, but there is that implicit and unconscious bias that um, training can help. So that's been an, a legislative thing we've been pushing for. Mm -hmm. Would that also, be sort of like, you know, maybe someone comes into your healthcare practice and they have certain questions or concerns and, and you know, again, not consciously, but subconsciously, maybe you just don't give their concerns uh, the, the same um, credence or credibility that you might give a white, uh, a white person under your care. Absolutely. That, that okay. definitely figures in. There are all sorts of stereotypes that folks don't realize still play into healthcare. I read another statistic that said doctors think that people of color have a higher pain tolerance than white people. And so they're less likely oh. to prescribe painkillers. Wow. And that's absurd. That's absurd that people wow. have to, you know, just live with their pain because the doctor isn't going to believe them. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, and then of course, as you can imagine with COVID and a global pandemic happening, uh, this health equity work has fed into our programmatic work. We're currently doing an initiative on the principles that guide e medical ethics uh, mm -hmm. and encur to encourage communities of color, in particular faith communities that serve people of color to uh, consider the vaccine, to learn about mm. the ethics of, uh, of healthcare that went into the vaccine and how you know, slowly but surely the medical community is trying to be, to serve communities of color better. So, um, yeah, that's, that's some other work we're doing. Yeah. So really education around vaccinations and so forth. Yeah. Around vaccinations and around, you know, what, what the standards are, what the priorities are for, for medical professionals and how can we hold folks to that higher standard? Right. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. And and so uh, and then number four, I, I know you told me welcoming the stranger or or like um, support for emig for immigrants. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this we have less legislatively to push for on this at the state level, as you can imagine, okay. immigration reform needs to come at a federal level. Hmm. However, over the past few years, we have been involved in coalitions to. Um, you know, get in-state tuition regardless of immigration status and get, uh, we were part of a coalition that won driver's licenses for all, again, independent of whether you were a documented or undocumented immigrant, you can now get a driver's license in Virginia, wow. which is huge because you can't not have a car in Virginia. So if folks were driving without licenses or whatever and, and mm -hmm. or not, and, you know, I knew a woman, um, like I said, I used to work at a, a church and I oversaw financial assistance. And there was one woman who would take her an hour to take public transportation on what would be a five minute drive um, from her right. house to the church right. because there she couldn't have a license. Right. Um, so so we've been a part of those kind of coalitions on the legislative level and we're part of coalitions Gunning for immigration reform at the, that's the wrong word, but you know, <laughs> aiming for immigration reform at the federal level. 
Um, but, you know, on the programmatic level, we're also part of the are we run the Central Virginia Sanctuary Network, which is less about churches offering sanctuary, though we have supported churches who've offered sanctuary to um, folks pursuing. Uh, sanctuary is complicated. I'm not going to go sure. into that just at the That's moment. Okay. Yeah. We supported congregations in that, but there's also a network that, you know, gives folks rides to their immigration hearing. This was especially necessary when people couldn't have driver's licenses. But even now, like having that stress alleviated of trying to find your way there or, um, you know, especially if you don't have a license and you need to go to your asylum hearing to talk about how you've been, uh, how you were being harassed in your home country and therefore fled to the United States for security reasons. Not having to drive to that appointment can be a huge emotional release. Yes. Um, and have it, so the Central Virginia Sanctuary Network has um, really assisted a lot of immigrants with transportation, especially to legal appointments wow. um, and other kinds of connections. Yeah. I've gone um, to, you know, the downtown courthouse once for jury duty, and that was tremendously stressful just trying to find parking for that. <laughs> and, you know, nothing was at stake for me other than, you know, if I got called as a juror. Mm -hmm. So I get it. Yeah, that's a huge gift. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and um, I'm bilingual, so kind of expanding our reach to Spanish language faith communities as well, because mm -hmm. all of these previous issues affect the immigrant community in a particular way, right? If sure. you don't, your your worker protect, you are much less likely to speak about your rights as workers if it, you don't feel comfortable in the language. You are much right. more likely to be experiencing uh, discrimination in the criminal justice system if you are also from another country so there's all sure. sorts of ways there that these issues interplay with each other right right absolutely yeah and the challenges can kind of stack up and multiply yes. I, and i've worked with um some families who have resettled from other countries myanmar burma mm -hmm. uh uh in in uh a previous church that I was a member of and also a refugee resettlement agency. There are a lot of obstacles uh, for folks who are putting down roots here. Yeah. Uh, well, so that's wonderful. Criminal justice reform, worker protection, health equity, and welcoming the stranger. How do you all go about deciding what your key issues are as an organization, what you focus on? Oh my heavens. There's like a, that's a 45 minute chat all by oh, okay. itself. <laughs> You give like a quick snapshot. Yes, the quick snapshot is basically, you know, we look at highlights are we look at what is what changes we can meaningfully accomplish this year. So that means, you know, we look right. at what the makeup of the legislature is, um, who we have, who's like got in the know um, and would be compelling in terms of leading that issue. We look at what the faith community is excited about and wants to get mm. on board with. Um, and so is there a listening process um, y'all are, you know, connected to churches or other faith organizations. And so you all are hearing from them what they're concerned about as well. Yes, exactly. We've got the, um, you know, our, our congregational liaisons who are sort of the bridge between VICPP and individual congregations. Mm -hmm. And we have our regional chapters who do sort of the interfaith work in particular cities or regions. Um, and both of those groups give us feedback about what they're seeing, how, what they're hearing about, what problems they're facing, what folks are excited to, to take on. 
Right. Um, and then all that together and we add up, you know, we're never going to do something that's divisive among the faith community. Hmm. Uh, so we want something that has consistent, a consistent teaching when we're advocating for welcoming the stranger or for, you know, providing money for affordable housing. Faith traditions are pretty much united on those fronts. Right. Um, if you got into some other issues, they might be more of a flashpoint and, you know, the Unitarians and the Catholics might fall on different sides of that spectrum. Um, so, so we, yeah. Yeah. I imagine as an interfaith organization and even, you know, within a Christian tradition, uh, you know, interdenominational organization, it, it can be hard to thread that needle sometimes in a way to cast your net as widely as possible. It is, it is. Um, it's important to be threading that needle, but it is sometimes yeah. a challenge. Right, right. We were having a conversation about, you know, uh, yeah, how how do we message things? Because we want to make sure that we are moving forward on justice. So, for example, the the first bucket I talked about was criminal justice reform. And there are those in advocacy spaces who will say, don't call it criminal justice because it's not a justice system. It is unjust intrinsically. Oh. And then oh, wow. there are those who, so they'll call it a criminal punishment system or just call it, you know, reform of the justice system. And there are those, you know, who would have zero idea what I was talking about if I did not use the word criminal in there. Right. So, um, so we're, we kind of work on threading that needle exactly like you're saying. Like, we want to make sure we are advocating justice and that we are moving forward to a more equitable space and, and a world in which these words are understood. We also want to recognize that, you know, X person in X congregation doesn't live and breathe this world. And, and we want to make sure that this is accessible to all and, and isn't going to turn people off without Absolutely. getting to know us. So Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate the, it sounds like y'all do a good job, one, listening to people of faith and what their concerns are for advocacy, and then also try to build a coalition, so to speak, to bring as many people along in the work for justice as possible. I, I also appreciate you said, um, it sounds like you all take a very pragmatic approach to what you can accomplish. You know, the, yes. the conversations are going to be different if it's a... Republican controlled general assembly or democratic controlled or who the governor is and so forth, or sort of what the flavor of the year is in terms of politics. Um, yeah, so absolutely. rather than just banging your head against the wall, you sort of assess like, what can we actually accomplish in the current context? Right, exactly. And, you know, when we're prepared and when we think about it, we do a very good job of that. You know, like I said, we, we Medicaid expansion passed, with bipartisan right. support under Republican control. Right. Um, Amazing. And there's a, you know, last year uh, with the uh, living or not living wage, minimum wage for farm workers. Farm workers are exempt from minimum wage. Anyway, that's wow. another tirade for another day. Wow. But minimum wage for farm workers failed with Democratic control. So it's not mm -hmm. as though we pick one party and stick with them. Right. Um, right. We will work with folks on policies that are important to our faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, and it's also true, you know, I talked about welcoming the stranger and we're working for immigration reform at the federal level. I am signing all the petitions and on the calls, but I don't 
necessarily think we're going to get immigration reform in the next two months. But, you know, we can maybe say, well, okay, maybe we can't do that, but we can do um, some, uh, <laughs> my brain is gone. <laughs> blank. We can do some uh, acknowledgement uh, that the detention centers are unjust and, and look into immigration detention and make sure that living conditions there and the health conditions there are as they ought to be. And that is more attainable right now, just given where we're at. And so- right. Yeah, that, that back and forth is definitely something we consider. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We can do a bilingual conversation some, some other time. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> My Spanish is probably not nearly as good as yours. <laughs> well, Sheila, can you tell us a little bit about what the rhythm of your year looks like? And also, maybe just very practically, like, what does it look like when y'all are advocating for some of these legislative positions are y'all up on you know at the general assembly like knocking on doors of our various uh, lawmakers and so forth we are actually yeah awesome. so um so the rhythm of the year i mean for those who don't know virginia's general assembly is relatively short compared okay. to other uh i like i said i grew up in ohio ohio has a nine month uh, oh, wow. state legislature virginia's yeah, yeah yeah virginia's is has a short year and a long year and the short year is 30 or 45 days and the long year is 60 days so maximum of two months wow uh, mid-january to mid-march that you're up on the hill and running around knocking on legislators doors mm -hmm. um we have a giant event in january every year called day for all people where we get faith communities and people from around the Commonwealth to come and meet with their own legislators and say, mm -hmm. hey, here are, here are our priorities. How can you help us? Uh, or, you know, you happen to be on the, uh, on the Commerce and Labor Committee. Therefore, I know your vote is really important on the worker protections on, on the paid sick day bill. So mm -hmm. let's make that happen. Um, so that's a big day. And and so we're up and down the hill throughout the General Assembly and sending out, you know, sign up links to everybody on our list. You're in this legislator's district. They're going to vote tomorrow on this bill. Wow. Join us. Wow. And, and having constituent input, having the people in the pews reach out to your legislatures makes a huge difference. It really does. Every, yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> at the state level in particular, like mm. they will read every email and at least tally it. Like they might take two weeks to get back to you, but they, they keep a finger on that pulse because districts are not that big in Virginia. If you're politically active enough to be emailing a legislator, they know you're going to vote and they want your input. Um, so it's, it is really, really important to get constituent that's input. Know. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, once the General Assembly has cooled down a bit, as is it's the case right, right now, now, right? I mean, it's yep. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, they're still figuring out the budget. So we're still pushing for funding for affordable housing in the budget. If you want to join us in that, you could sign a petition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, the, the budget is the last big piece they need to get done at the General Assembly. Mm -hmm. um, so now is the time when we're building relationships with the congregations and the chapters around Virginia, we have, um, we'll have a, a legislative wrap up and update about what bills passed, what bills failed, where our issues stand, and we'll dive back into the programmatic work. 
-hmm. we'll have a couple right. of summer projects. Uh, of course, we're about to start busy religious season. Uh, oh yeah, Holy Week is coming for for me. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Holy Week is coming up for the Christians. Uh, Ramadan is coming up for the Muslims, and Passover is coming up for the Jewish community. So like, nobody's going to answer my emails for two weeks, but it's fine. <laughs> Uh, but in general, so, you know, we, we allow for that rhythm to happen um, in the, over the summer, we are this year going to try to do some kind of book study or something for, for folks in congregations who just want to keep their finger on justice over the summer. And then in the fall, we usually have a civic engagement piece um, because every single year is an election year in Virginia. So mm -hmm. we'll do voter registration and a little bit of education and, and make sure people are ready. And also over the summer and fall is a great time to meet with legislators. During the General Assembly, mm -hmm. they have meetings from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Right. In the summer and the fall, they're generally in their district. They're generally available. So we can talk to them and kind of get a sense and, and scope out people who might be willing to patron a bill in the future or what were the hangups you had with this bill last year and how might we gain your support next year? So mm -hmm. all of those things sort of figure in. Awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic. It's fun. Yeah. And no, I Keeps believe us on that, our toes. I, you know, and I, I, I always love when there's rhythm to life. And so, you know, the seasonality of, you know, your sort of work is, is really neat. I think. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, politics and faith, I, I mentioned just a little bit up front, you know, a lot of churches, I'll speak from the Christian tradition, you know, either we don't want to mix politics and faith at all, or they are, you know, almost um, horribly enmeshed with one another in some instances. And so how do you navigate this? You know, what if someone from a church said, well, we're not supposed to be involved in politics. We're just, you know, a faith community. Mm. How would you respond to someone like that? I've definitely heard that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, and I definitely, like, my thought is, I agree. I think we need to be not partisan. Um, but the truth of the matter is that we have to be political. We have to be policy-oriented. Uh you know, my tradition says, I am not off the hook. I have to build the kingdom of God right mm -hmm. now. And mm -hmm. the kingdom of God means taking care of the imprisoned, means taking mm -hmm. care of the folks who have no place to lay their head, mm -hmm. means, um, and the best way to do that is through policy. Uh, you know, I used to, when I worked at a church, I oversaw both, my title was coordinator of justice and charity great title. Hmm. Uh, but I oversaw our uh, food pantry. And I was like, this is awesome. But this, the same people come back week after week. And that's great. Right. I'm so glad we can provide them food. Right. But it's not addressing why they're hungry. It's not addressing what their wages are. It's not addressing um, what the social safety net is or how much their food stamps are. Right. Um, and so if you if a person knocks on my door and says they're hungry, I will make them a sandwich. But if that person, if you keep doing that, too much charity without justice can end up enabling a broken system. Mm -hmm. And so you really do need both feet because, of course, justice without charity, you end up, um, people fall through the cracks and are hurt in the meantime because it takes mm -hmm. more than a day 
to get those food stamps up, to raise the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. But you really do need a balance of both. I would say that, you know, soup kitchens are of a sort political. <laughs> they are a part of the system uh, that we live in. And advocating on behalf of folks who are marginalized in our society is just another piece of that. I think we are engaged in public life, whether we acknowledge it or not. And so we mm -hmm. must choose to have our faith inform the way we engage in public life. But, I mean, politics really at its essence is how we live together in community, right? I mean, yes. so like in a literal sense, it's impossible to divorce your faith from politics, right? Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it should, you know, love of neighbors should inform how we live together in community mm -hmm. uh, and how we decide who, you know, who gets paid what or, you know, what our standards of health care are in our community and so forth. Yeah. I was talking to someone recently. We had a, a, a feeding program at our church and, you know, uh, the comment was that there's enough food in the world for everyone, but the way that the systems are designed doesn't enable everyone to get enough food. And so rather than simply feeding people when they're hungry, how can we create a world in which all have enough to eat? And mm -hmm. to me, that really does evoke the kingdom or reign of God imagery like you talked about. Like how can we create a more just world that reflects God's heart and vision for, you know, uh, for abundance for all. And I do see that theme threaded throughout scripture. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And there's, oh, there's so much on this. I, liberation <laughs> theology and uh, just so many yeah. pieces that are figuring in in my mind. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'll just say this briefly, but, you know, Jesus in John chapter 10 talks about being the good shepherd. And some of that conversation in John chapter 10 evokes, I think it's Ezekiel 34 mm. and Ezekiel, the prophet is really critical of the leaders, the leadership uh, of the community, really, you know, the aristocrats who aren't taking care of the sheep. He calls them shepherds and he says they're not taking care of the sheep. And so there is a political dimension, to, especially to Ezekiel and the other prophets, where they're calling the leaders to account and say, your job is to take care of people and make sure everyone has enough to eat uh, yes. and, uh, and create a society that's healthy and whole, really reflects God's shalom or God's, you know, wholeness and justice. Yes, absolutely. There's um. On my bookshelf it, at home is a book, The Prophets by Rabbi Abraham Heschel. Oh, yeah. Which goes into like how all the prophets are just, prophets are social justice warriors. Like, yes. Oh, my them, gosh. All of them. So if you don't think faith is political, like read any of the prophets. Read Amos. <laughs> you'll have a grand time. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's your our, a good book recommendation to Abraham uh, Heschel, The Prophets. Yes. And, you know, I think that, um, so there's sort of like, at least within a Christian tradition, mission trips, you know, often mm -hmm. short-term projects where, you know, we might go do a VBS and feed some people, maybe do like some medical missions or whatever. But then there's that larger component that I would call advocacy, where we advocate for a more just world. And I think it's hard because churches, you know, and at, at least in my context, 
uh, have struggled to figure out how to engage that piece. And so when we had coffee a couple of weeks ago, that was one of the reasons that I was so excited to talk to you is because this Virginia interface seems like such a wonderful way for churches and people of faith to get involved in advocacy uh, in a way that has the potential to make a real difference in people's lives. And partnering together is going to be a lot different, especially, you know, with folks like you who know what they're talking about than me just walking up to, you know, the the hill and knocking on a door and being like, I believe in such and such, you know, and <laughs> it has no relevance yes. to what the actual bills are under discussion, perhaps. And so I, I, I was just excited to have that conversation with you and think this is a practical uh, way of churches to get involved in advocacy work. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I love that about what we do here. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, signing up for the email list means at the very least, you'll get an email once a week that says, hey, like, this is, these are the bill numbers that you should be emailing. Just hit right. this button, you can sign the petition. Um, right. And th that's, that's so meaningful and helpful. Um, but then we try to do stuff, you know, throughout the year to make sure there is possibility for that that interfaith connection locally, or there is the possibility for reimagining faith in a justice context, or or building up a better community. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. We'll make sure to put the link uh, so on on this podcast so that folks can sign up for that email. By the way, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> what well, and um, I'm watching our time, but I, I just wanted to mention. You know, y'all are an interfaith organization by design. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you are a person of faith yourself, uh, which I think is neat. This is a way for you to put your own faith into practice. Um, but I also think that it's neat that justice issues are a way to build bridges between people of different faiths, like, uh, you know, the mosques that are involved and, mm -hmm. and care about criminal justice reform or worker protection. And, uh, you know, in a world that is often so divisive and religion is, you know, certainly one of the chief ways that we're divided or that we divide ourselves as humans um, in denominations, you know, you know, you get 10 Baptist churches, they're 10 <laughs> very different churches. Yes. But how cool to be able to partner together to bridge that divide between faith groups. I think that's a neat part of what y'all do. It is really good. And I think something that we're, you know, trying to trying to expand and make sure, because if you just, you can send out the petition and then you can say, oh, look, all these people signed on or, or all these clergy from all these different denominations. But actually building relationships among folks of different faith traditions is is really powerful mm -hmm. um and something i love to do and it happens a little bit in our chapters and it happens a little bit in our congregational liaison uh groups uh i when i worked in charlottesville i mentioned i did interfaith organizing and like myself and a person a woman who was with the the jewish synagogue we were the co-chairs and she's we have the same birthday she just texted me yesterday like we had a <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just these these connections um, help humanize folks and also really do help us to work together because we'd, we'd have, you know, a monthly reflection and someone would share about how their faith tradition called them to this. But in the interim, we were all just doing the concrete work of making the world a better place, making our community mm -hmm. better. And yes, it had to do with all of our faiths, um, mm. but that wasn't a dividing point. That was a that was a point of unity. Right. Which awesome. Is something I appreciate. Yeah. 
That's so cool. Sheila, can you tell us, um, sort of as a last question, a practical question, how can churches or individuals or, or other communities of faith partner with you all? Sure. So um, there are lots of ways. I've mentioned a little bit our liaisons, which are the, the bridge between VICPP and a particular congregation. There's also 10 regional chapters. I can't list them off right now, but they're on our website. So if you live in those areas, you can just plug in and they usually have about a monthly meeting. Um, and signing up for the email list is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. We try to make sure there's at least a quarterly event that you can either do yourself, do with your faith community, or plug into a chapter or a region and do together. Um, oh, great. Yeah. So those those are kind of the ways to get involved. If you want to do more on a particular thing, like join our social media team or join our mm. um, health equity team, those exist too. Uh, folks can feel free to email me. Yeah, that's <laughs> at my link. My uh, contact information can also be in the description here. Awesome. Yeah, we'd be glad to share that too. Can you give us an example? Maybe just one example of one of those quarterly events. Sure. So actually, um, hmm. I'm going to do two because they were, we, we did two in the fall of last That's year. Great. Uh, so we did a solitary solidarity event on both college campuses and uh, congregational parking lots. It was basically you block off a space that's the size of a solitary confinement spell, cell, which is approximately the size of one parking space. Wow. And folks could pop in there and just like be by themselves for five minutes. There are, there exist VR headsets that will give you like the sounds and the sights of being in solitary. Um, and a couple of congregations got those as well. Uh, and then there was a prayer service to like mm. keep folks in mind and a petition to sign on to limit solitary. Right. Um, also the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we did a prayer service outside of grocery stores that do not offer paid sick days to their workers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we prayed for the workers, especially on that crazy busy shopping day. We prayed uh, for our legislators and we handed out little flyers and invited folks to, again, sign a petition saying we need paid sick days in Virginia. Uh, so like those sort of a little bit, our kind of motto is learn, pray, act. And mm -hmm. so we, we have just a taste of all three in these kind of events. Uh, we've also, you know, done a, done a movie series together, a movie and discussion series, or like I've mentioned, like a book series so right yeah well you have to raise the awareness right yes of, you know like and even talking to you in this conversation I've, I've learned a lot and my hunch is that our listeners have learned a lot too like they probably didn't know that you know there wasn't a you know maximum you know amount of time you can spend in solitary confinement yeah. so it's important to raise those issues to light yeah there are so. people who've been in sol who were in solitary confinement for years oh gosh it's yeah yeah. you cannot survive that of course that affects your mental health of course that affects everything about your life absolutely afterwards. physical health spiritual health yeah yes yeah mm -hmm. Sheila this has been such a wonderful conversation I'm so great grateful for the chance that we've had to sit down I'm personally grateful for the amazing work that y'all are doing and the ways in which you all are living out your faith in the world and a very tangible way and the ways in which y'all are attempting to shape and create uh, a, a commonwealth of Virginia <laughs> that better reflects 
God's heart for the world. And mm -hmm. uh, what an amazing thing that y'all do. I'm grateful for my church's partnership with you all mm -hmm. and hope that we can deepen that, you know, continue to find ways to partner creatively together. Um, but, uh, and I'm, I don't know, I'm just excited for the future. So thanks so much for your time in this conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been, thank you, Art. It has been so good to talk with you. And again, so good to connect with Williamsburg Baptist and with everybody else listening. Like this is, I, I feel so privileged and blessed to be doing this work and delighted to be working with other folks who want to see it move forward. Good. I'm so glad. And we'll look forward to hopefully ha having you on campus at our church sometime to do some events in person, maybe share a little bit more um, with Sunday school classes or whatever. So that would be awesome. Good. Podcast listeners, if you're still with us, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. We really are grateful. I would love for you to check out the website for Virginia Interfaith uh, that we'll include in the comments. And you can find out more about our church too, Williamsburg Baptist at williamsburgbaptist.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.